Welcome back to Loserville, folks. It's uh, your trusted correspondent, Philip Kingston. Probably not trusted very much. Um, slightly more trustworthy, Tyler Wade has joined me. Hello, Tyler. Hello, Philip. And uh, a treat for the listener this uh, week is you get less of our dulcet tones and more of the um, nuggets of information that only a seasoned correspondent like Bud Kennedy can provide. Bud is a longtime fixture in Dallas journalism, um, having worked for all of the major dailies in, in the Metroplex. Some alive and some gone. <laughs> yes, some some dearly departed. I think honestly, if we could resurrect the uh, competitor papers, we might all be better off today. Uh, in addition to having uh, written most of the important first drafts of history uh, locally, um, but also is an excellent restaurant critic. Uh, can't recommend his restaurant writing highly enough. Um, and has covered um, at the highest level sports and the Texas legislature. So uh, a, a man of letters, we are happy to welcome Bud Kennedy back to Loserville. From our perspective, he is our Tarrant County correspondent because we are quite knowledgeable on this side of the Trinity and we don't understand a damn thing that goes on over there, but we want to. Well, thank you, Philip Tyler. I'm happy to be your foreign correspondent from the world west of <laughs> They, uh, you know, I, I practice law over there, um, and uh, it, that I typically we often refer to Rule Two One Four that gets applied to us in Tarrant County. D Dallas lawyers tend to have a rough time at the courthouse there. And I've often wondered if uh, if I would ever actually be stopped at the at the in Arlington on my way over to check my passport. Well, I, I, they're working on that, you know, that people don't understand why the turnpike gates were taken down. They'd be very useful now just to go ahead and barricade. They would. Yeah, we, we we should uh, we should think about whether we we actually improved things there. So, but I'm from Indiana, and uh, my parents are obsessed with Fort Worth. Whenever they come to visit, they're always like, "Why don't you live over here?" Well, bring them on down. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we we love having a city of nearly a million people, and we love being next to Dallas. We love being able to visit Dallas, and then we love being able to come home. <laughs> <laughs> You all um, in the listening audience may also have seen Bud in his long-standing role as a co-host of Inside Texas Politics, which is by far the best local politics TV program. I've been privileged to be a guest a few times and uh, was treated very nicely by both Bud and uh, Jason Whiteley. Um, terrific program. Hope it goes on forever. 9 a.m. WFAA. Don't leave that out. <laughs> Sunday mornings. Well, Bud, we uh, we we do from time to time. We we hold ourselves out as fairly knowledgeable about local politics in Dallas, um, but we try also from time to time to expand our reach into our neighboring cities. And uh, no place in Texas these days is really more interesting than uh, Tarrant County. Um, what the hell's wrong with y'all? Yeah. Well, 
Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I think it, it used to be said that Tarrant County was the the purple county or the, the bellwether county for the state. But I think actually Collin County is a little bit more of a bellwether county now. I think we see Collin County purpling up more and Tarrant County reddening a little bit. You know, what's happened, you know, obviously is that everything uh, in Dallas that went on in both Dallas and Plano with uh, a central city, but also with suburban growth, all of that basically went on within the Tarrant County line. And so you have two urban cities, Fort Worth and Arlington, sixth and seventh largest cities in Texas, but you have more people who live north of the two cities. You have more people living in South Lake Keller, Haslett, the giant swath of suburbia uh, across North Tarrant County, north of the airport freeway. You have more people living there than in either of the two cities. And so you have this giant, a very Republican suburban vote, and you have these two predominantly Democrat four cities. And it's all in one county and affects county elections. Well, and it's interesting to me, <clears throat> historically, Tarrant County politicians were known for uh, decorum, um, great manners, uh, politeness. And I think that's still largely true. And Collin County for a long time has been known for more coarse, um, elected officials, uh, you know, not not least of which Ken Paxton, um, but you know that even just the, the the sort of Republican machine in Collin County has done. We we did an entire episode about um, uh, the judge that they wrongly convicted there, and uh, you know, and I think that's switching a little bit. You're seeing more decorum in Collin County amongst newer elected officials that are. It, I guess, cognizant of the new purple district that it, it's become. And then in, in Fort Worth uh, and in Tarrant County, um, I mean, much to our disappointment, you see that the county government has has turned really rather, I, I hate to say this about my, my old friend, uh, Tim O'Hare, but um, he, he hasn't started off as um, in a conciliatory way, I would say. Well, you know, I, Judge O'Hare is doing exactly what he said he would do. He said he wanted to use the platform of Tarrant County Judge the way Judge Jenkins uses the platform in Dallas County to promote a partisan views and, and to uphold a party. Uh, he said he was going to use the judge's position as a bully pulpit to make Tarrant County more Republican and keep Tarrant County red. And he's carried out what he told the voters he would do. Uh, Tarrant County was known for these uh, even-handed uh, government leaders, the Republicans, Kay Granger, Charlie Guerin, Betsy Price, Glenn Whitley, you know, all good, solid public policy Republicans, but they weren't red meat Republicans. You know, Tim O'Hare was chairman of the Republican Party before in the county, moved from Farmer's Branch, where people remember him, into South Lake, decided that uh, more needed to be done, uh, took the, uh, you know, started uh, working on school issues a couple of years ago after being Republican chair and just decided that more needed to be done to uphold party values and, and just kind of be the, the partisan war horse across the county. Uh, so he decided to run for county judge and, and to use that as, to promote Republican views and the Republican platform. He's more conservative. He's not as conservative as some. He's a, a Ted Cruz kind of conservative, probably, and a former member of the Christian Lawyers Association. Certainly represents the faith and values uh, wing of the party, but uh, there are more. Uh, there are there are more extreme patriot movement Republicans than the judge, 
But you know what he's done is he started immediately trying to stake out partisan views, and, and you know, bring a, a more Republican uh, partisanship to to the courthouse. And that ran straight over an elections administrator. You know, Hyder Garcia was really uh, he came in with this mixed bag of a background. Uh, he obviously had worked and and sold machines and. And had worked for a lot of a lot of countries. Wound up, he was working in California when Tarrant County hired him. But what's important is that the Tarrant County Elections Commission, which included at the time Republican County Chair Tim O'Hare, you know, reviewed his his record, reviewed his performance, and decided that he seemed to really know a lot about machines and know what he was talking about. And they were in the process of buying more machines, so they said, "Let's bring him in." And and you know, the thing is with Hyder, they said. You know, you've got a little bit of a, of a checkered past and you need to be on your best behavior. I think he exceeded that beyond anyone's wildest dreams. He let everybody come in and see exactly what was going on in the elections office and see every ballot and every machine and test every machine and, and, and look at every result and responded to every open records request and answered every phone call. So uh, he did his best to come in and run an open shop. He was very well liked by the Northeast Terran Tea Party and a very very respected by the uh, Texas Citizen Action Group that has been a, uh, that had been an election reform group before we saw the newer post-Trump uh, election reform movement. So the far right wing really liked Hyder Garcia, but then you had the new uh, group of more uh, faith community group that believed that Trump had been cheated out of the election. They wanted to promote that more church members should vote and promote along the idea of that they were falsely uh, falsely lost the election and that more church people should vote. There must be something wrong with the election. In this case, it wasn't that Trump lost Tarrant County, but, but well, Trump did lose Tarrant County. Mm -hmm. Beto and then uh, Joe Biden won Tarrant County. Although if you look at those elections, you know, Beto and Biden won Tarrant County, but no other Democrat did. Uh, Republicans carried every other race down the ballot, the closest was 52-48. So they didn't complain about any of those other races, only the races at the top. Uh, they, they preached the idea that something must have been stolen and that there must be something wrong with the elections and the machines and the voting. And so eventually the pressure uh, has led to the, the pressure on the, the county elections office. Uh, Judge O'Hare came in and was upset with Hyder Garcia for going down to Austin and supporting countywide voting and saying a few things that Judge O'Hare didn't agree with and, and that uh, Senator Hall over in Dallas didn't agree with. And so uh, you know, the political pressure on, on the election administrator uh, became too much. But what's the the story behind when O'Hare sort of talked about this like acting unprofessional? He felt that uh, Hyder Garcia was unprofessional um, at, at one point. In what, his, he's, yeah. what, what he said is that uh, and first of all, he said that Hyder talked too much to the media and that there was that uh, that he really thought the county administration should be talking about policy matters and the election administrator shouldn't. There were some accusations that Hyder had texted photos from uh, from uh, a car, places. right? Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't know if that's what was text. I don't know what was texted. I know that there are photos of, of a junior college candidate's car that had like uh, it was a, hum, a, a, hum, a Hummer with a machine gun on top or something it looked like a, a, a tank that was a, 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 a for a candidate for college trustee. 
but I don't know who texted that. I, I, yeah, I didn't get any photos from Hyder, so I don't know exactly what that accusation involved. But I know that the judge was upset and felt like that uh, Garcia, the election administrator, had communicated uh, too openly with the press. Do you think that um, sort of we, we talked some on this show about some of the school board uh, stuff with Patriot Mobile or Patriot Mobile and things going on in, in Grapevine, uh, Colleyville, and and South Lake? It, is Tim O'Hare sort of a beneficiary of that, or uh, was he sort of the beginning of some of that stuff? Yeah, Tim O'Hare pioneered that. I mean, he he founded the South Lake Families Group that started the uprising. This is a path, this is a traditional path to uh, political power in the suburbs is to start a movement against the local school board uh, over taxes or over growth or over textbooks to just to, to start some sort of uprising, a tax recall or something and and, uh, and build political power that way because the, you know, you, you kind of you, you kind of walk all over the school board on your way to the top. Uh, yeah, and in this case, that was really Tim O'Hare's uh, original cause was, uh, you know, library books. And particularly in Southlake, it was the the uh, the uh, uh, racial content and the critical race theory. So uh, it was just the, the idea that the school board's gotten too, too liberal and that they need to do something about the school board. Yeah, this and, and I'm not totally unsympathetic. I, I think what's happened here is that school boards are terrible politicians. You know, the school <laughs> trustees and everyone we talked to in these last elections, I, I said, well, now you've been on this board for four years or six years, you've been an incumbent, and you come in here and you're running against a Patriot Mobile candidate. I'm looking at your form, you've got $2,000 in the bank. You, you haven't been fundraising, you, know, you haven't been collecting support. You know, have you gone out, have you spoken to civic clubs? Have you spoken to Sunday schools? Do people in your community know who you are? Over and over, you know, you can't take out a politician if they've gone out and done their work. If they've talked to their civic clubs, Sunday schools, and, and political clubs and gone out and got to know everybody. But if somebody just goes down to the school board once a month and never goes out in the community and uh, gets their name out or does any fundraising, then they lose at election time. So I think that, you know, some of the school trustees are, are have been uh, politically weak and, and a lot of uh, more politically savvy candidates have taken advantage. You know, a lot of the people in that northern swath of the suburbs that you mentioned as having become the most populous place in Tarrant County, a, a lot of those people are um, South Asian. There's a, a very large uh, contingent of Indian and Pakistani residents there. There are some black residents. Um, it's not a huge number, but there there are some. So, in is the is the movement there, which has started to move from the school district into the city councils. I mean, obviously, these groups are having enormous influence in the South Lake City Council races. Is is it entirely a white movement, or is there have they have they managed to actually co-opt people who are you know, not at least visibly aligned with the leaders of those groups? Or what is what is the sense of the, the kind of uh, more recent immigrant uh, communities that live in those super nice suburbs? Of course, some of that immigrant community is a conservative faith community. And so, you know, you know much of the uh, effort toward uh, 
faith and values is something that that uh, that uh, that South Asian immigrants share. The, uh, the that community has not been unified in the in the political mm -hmm. efforts. Uh, South Lake has always wanted to be Highland Park. South Lake uh, has a, a similar situation where the city limits almost perfectly match the school district boundaries. And so the city can control growth and development and control the population of the school district and feels like it has a direct uh, relationship and control over that. So uh, Southlake wants to you know, live, lift the value of property and, and prove that their public schools are conservative and worth buying property in Southlake. Keller's a little different situation. The Keller schools are three-fourths in Fort Worth but those three-fourths in Fort Worth are not a high voting population. And so the core voters in Keller uh, dominate those elections. And again, you have a, an upscale city that, that wants to be conservative and wants to raise their property values. So you have uh, South Lake and Keller that, that have ambitions in a, in a high-end community. Uh, they're becoming a little more diverse, but it's not the diversity that we see in Collin County. I think South Lake Carroll might be about 10% South Asian at this point. Uh, the, uh, but I think that the, that the, the growth is not unified. Uh, certainly uh, there's not one political uh, ideology that goes with that growth. This is not the same kind of growth we see in Collin County. Collin County sees a highly educated, uh, you know, engineering tech community, uh, people coming from California. The level of education in Collin County is higher than the level of education in North Tarrant County. And North Tarrant County, the South Lake side is a little bit like Collin County, but the Keller side, you have a lot of alliance workers who are warehouse. Uh, you know, they're they're the next step down from the engineers and high tech employees in Collin County, and so they're here for jobs at Alliance. Uh, they've moved here from all over the world, but they're they are not quite the same. Uh, you know, they're they're not the Democrats. They're not the high educated suburban Democrats that we see voting uh, more in Collin County. You know, I uh, I ran into the idea that there, well, there has been a, dis a border dispute between Carroll ISD and Grapevine Colleyville, um, where those two meet up uh, in some very fancy neighborhoods in that are in the city of Southlake. And uh, that dispute apparently got resolved in the last few years. And I have been able to use that for a client to argue that their, their property tax valuation was far too high because when, when it appeared that they were in the Carroll ISD, then maybe that valuation was supported. <laughs> mm -hmm. But they, they turned out to be, yeah, there's some little jagged edges that don't quite match up. And of course, you know, as you remember, although this is really getting obscure now, the Tarrant-Denton boundary was actually moved. Yeah. And so the courts ruled that when the county line was moved, the school district lines did not move with it. And so people who thought they were moving into the Carroll ISD, it didn't turn out they were moving. And then part of the Flower Mountain ISD in Louisville is now in Tarrant County and so forth and so on. So, yeah, there's some little... Uh, anomalies out there but the yeah the carol carol is this you know we don't have any other situations where the the city and the school district match up so closely and so carol has for 40 years carol has said has said we could be like highland park colleyville is very upset that they don't have that colleyville uh shares a school district with grapevine 
And the voters until this last cycle have been outnumbered by Grapevine. And so whatever conservative movement uh, came out of Colleyville, Grapevine always, you know, battered that back down. Uh, this last you know, last election cycle before this one, uh, Colleyville won some trustee slots. This election was split because Grapevine tried to run, you know, two candidates against the Patriot Mobile candidate, and and of course the Patriot Mobile candidate came out with a plurality. The the uh, the Grapevine people couldn't get their act together and and put up just one candidate in the race. But the, Colleyville wishes they had a a single school district, but they don't. Well, the um, the Fort Worth City Council may be in, uh, I don't know, in opposition to some of the reddening of, of Tarrant County seems to me anyway, to have tracked um, maybe more to the middle, even than it was under Betsy Price. And Betsy Price certainly was no fire-breathing partisan. She, I think she was probably much more known as a pragmatist and a leader that people liked. And I think that her successor, you know, who's also her former chief of staff, uh, Maddie Parker, has maybe moved even farther to the center than, than her predecessor. Um, and I, I don't know, I, my experience is that I represent a couple of developers who, who work in, in, city of Fort Worth. And so I've been to the council a few times on advocacy stuff. And just the, my, you know, anecdotal experience is that they're a pretty practically minded group. Well, of course, what's happened there is that the same election where Maddie Parker was elected, also the Southwest Fort Worth Council District flipped to a Democrat, Dr. Williams. And so the council uh, for 30 years, uh, was evenly split Republican and Democrat, and the mayor would be the swing seat. You had Democrat Kenneth Barr, Democrat Mike Moncrief, and you would have a five to four Democratic council. Then you have Republican Betsy Price, and so you had a centrist Republican uh, city council. Now you have a centrist Republican mayor, but another seat flipped. And so for the last two years, the council has continued to be majority Democrat, even with a Republican mayor. Uh, what's happened now with the redistricting to 11 seats is that you know each party picked up one seat, and there is a runoff now in a, a, a what was drawn as a Latino minority district, but the voting strength is in the Anglo Riverside Oakhurst neighborhood, and so that district actually will kind of decide the uh, the balance of power whether it's six five. Uh, it would be very centrist Republican or Democrat, but the the, the change in Southwest Fort Worth and the the, the Crowley boxes and the the North Crowley area that votes in Fort Worth, you know, that, that district swung to Democrat and, and reelected that Democrat very strongly, uh, Dr. Williams, in this most recent election. So uh, you, well, the big thing that happened in this most recent city council election is that both of the, the uh, strongest Democrats, you know, Jared Williams, Elizabeth Beck, uh, who represented, uh, you know, the South and Southwest Fort Worth, uh, you know, not predominantly Anglo, but you know, a, a lot of Anglo voters, uh, you know, they're not minority districts, but they were, you know, they were Democrat uh, representatives. And uh, you know, both of them faced uh, strongly funded Republican challengers with more than $100,000 apiece in money to run against them. Both of the Democrats won without a runoff. And so mm -hmm. uh, those Democrats, uh, you know, were, were uh, reelected without even having to go into June. 
what were some of the issues that were motivating the sort of Fort Worth voters in those council races? Uh, so we, the commercials we would see on TV in Dallas always talked about the council, city council chaos, right, uh, from the Republicans. But yeah, I, I I don't know exactly. You know, there was a little bit of city council chaos. Just some there was some tension over. Uh, the, the police shooting, the, the, uh, the, the Tatiana Jefferson case, mm -hmm. and there's some uh, tension over the police review board. Uh, there's not really city council chaos. So those, those commercials were kind of, I mean, that just like every political commercial, they were trying to reach for something. And that, those were cases <laughs> where they were trying to make local, you know, Fort Worth voters are not paying that much attention. Fort Worth voters are watching uh, cable TV news for most of their information like everyone else. And so, as in most of Texas, what the political consultants do, they take what people see on the TV news and they try to to, uh, to focus it down and make you think that that's happening in your community, that people are out there burning police cars or something and that that, that crime is running rampant. And and uh, it didn't wasn't the case and people knew it wasn't the case. They didn't have any personal experience with, with uh, chaos at city council or crime being out of control or anything like that. So the stuff that came in the mailbox, people didn't believe it. I thought um, <clears throat> Chris Nettles got sort of unfairly attacked uh, for asking what I think are some pretty basic questions about uh, racial disparities in low-level marijuana enforcement. Um, and I, it's this is one of the, you know, every major city in America has a bad racial disparity in low-level crimes of any kind, and certainly marijuana possession would be one of those. And it, to me, I never heard him say anything that could be realistically characterized as in favor of decriminalization or anything like that, uh, but he sure did take a lot of flack for that. What, what's behind that? I, you know, I think that before that, there had been other tensions uh, between uh, Councilman Nettles and, and between Mayor Parker. And I think there'd been a series of, of issues uh, that I'm like you, I think that was a pretty harmless question. And he said, well, why don't our police officers carry scales around so they can tell exactly how much somebody's carrying and not carrying and things like that. And uh, they, you know, he just wanted to try to keep, uh, the, try to keep the minor marijuana arrests from, you know, from uh, filling up the jail. So it was, it was a pretty reasonable request, but it was against the backdrop of a lot of other tension. Yeah, you know, even Texas Public Policy Foundation has issued several statements in mm -hmm. favor of um, decriminalizing is definitely the wrong word. They certainly don't favor that, but of uh, making it less likely that people wind up in the county jail for low-level offenses. And right. I, I just, I don't, to me, that seems like it's become a bipartisan issue in a way. Cite and release is what it is, where you, you give somebody a citation that they schedule a criminal court time. It's not a ticket. It's not a fine. They actually have to come to criminal court. But you give them a citation saying you have to book your time in criminal court to come before the judge over this instead of going to jail right now. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a better way to handle it because it doesn't tie up a police officer any longer and they can handle these small cases. Um, you know, I'm totally in favor of it, but it's tough to to fight a community of people worry that you're being soft on crime. Uh, there was resistance in Councilman Nettles' own community from people who felt like that their neighborhoods had, you know, too much uh, open air drug market 
and this would lead to further street nuisances in their neighborhoods. So uh, there continues to be debate over how to handle small amounts of marijuana, and and, and you know that's that's something that you know uh, the the police officers association is in Dallas, maybe more so than Dallas, the police officers association is very strong and they always want more work for police officers, not less work. So <laughs> they, they, you know, they want to be sure that, uh, that police have plenty to do and plenty of stay busy and that we need more police and we need to pay them more while we're at it. And so it's tough to get the POA to go along with a site and release policy. It, you know, Fort Worth has always had relatively similar crime numbers to Dallas. Um, and has never approached the number of officers per thousand population that, that Dallas tends to employ. What do you, and I know that, you know, Fort Worth, instead of spending its entire penny of sales tax on transit, as we do in Dallas, has half of a penny that goes toward crime reduction. Um, is it the spending that has... To me, it seems a little bit like magic that Fort Worth seems to be able to have low crime with a much smaller police force. How, do, how does that get pulled off? Well, as soon as the crime tax was passed, like you say, the half cent, the crime numbers went down. I mean, Fort Worth wasn't comparable to Dallas before that. Fort Worth was comparable to St. Louis and New Orleans and Memphis. And Fort Worth was one of the most crime-ridden cities in the country, 40,000 car thefts in one year you know once the crime tax was passed you know at the time this has been 25 years ago mayor granger and chief Wyndham promised they would make fort worth the safest city in in the united states and there were a few years where it where it attained to that goal the uh, the the uh, murder rates come back up with some of the drug trade the last few years but the the spending makes a big difference a lot of the spending is for uh, equipment and cars and technology and license plate readers and scanners and, you know, quick communications and better trunk lines and, and just, you know, just you know, there, there are a lot of ways that they've found to spend the money on equipment that augments what the police on the street are doing. Uh, also, the, the crime tax pays for the school resource officer. Uh, there's not a resource, there's not a Fort Worth police officer in every single school, but there's one assigned to every school who's close by. And so the, the, all the campus officers are paid out of that crime tax money. Now, it's tough. The last election, you look at it, it's $10 billion over a 10-year period. It's a lot of money for police if you look at the potential growth and economic growth of what the sales tax would mean. But it, it, I can't criticize any of the results. I think the uh, the results have been good, and I think that that has proven it's that it was a good idea. You know, it was originally proposed as a countywide tax, and kind of like with DART, the countywide voters, the suburban voters, turned it down. But then Fort Worth approved it and has had good results. It's funny. It I, it seems almost certain that if the, it got rerun today, it'd be less popular in the city of Fort Worth than it would be in the suburban parts of the county. Yeah, it would be the other way around. One of the ideas, I don't think this bill got filed, but was to allow school districts to pass a crime tax to hire school resource officers. And I don't think that that bill, you know, eventually made it in the legislature. But the, the idea of having an extra half cent tax for police and crime fight, you know, the way you have to sell that 
Uh, and the, the reason it would go so well in Arlington, although Arlington, Arlington, you know, is in denial about having crime. Arlington refuses to <laughs> admit that have, for years they refused to have a gang unit because they didn't want anything on paper saying they had gangs. And the, uh, but the reason it goes so well is that you know, it's visitors and tourists who pay most of the sales tax. And so you know, when people come to town, like the, the uh, several hundred thousand people now who've come to Fort Worth to see the city where Yellowstone in 1883 were filmed, all the tourism, the 40% of people who come to Fort Worth say they came because they saw it on a TV show. And so all, all the tourists that come, all that sales tax money is helping uh, buy patrol cars and pay officers overtime and helping keep the stockyard safe. And at the same time, helping keep the north side safe and the neighborhood safe, and, you know, helping the whole city. Yeah, we went over uh, last year to uh, Melissa's 30th high school reunion was uh, occurring. And so we decided to spend the night in Fort Worth and uh, chose the drover. And uh, yeah, you could have knocked me over with a feather at the rates that they're getting for staying in a nice hotel in the stockyards these days. There are nights that it's cost more than the Ritz-Carlton in Dallas. Uh, you know, the, the, the drover rates are dependent on what rodeo events in town. Um, it, it's something none of us ever imagined, but, uh, you know, it, it's, 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 it's obviously a nice property. People consider it almost a, like a stockyards resort and to have four figure hotel rates and, 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 uh, the Fort Worth stockyards is pretty amazing. We were headed back over there for, uh, George Strait and, uh, just took a look at the drover just to just to gauge whether we might want to stay there. But fifteen hundred dollars for a night at the drover is a little bit much for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really recommend you know there, that nice Spring Hill Suites there on Main is good. And, you know, I, I tend to send people to the the little boutique hotels, the one that's right across from Dickie's, the Dryce and the uh, and some of the smaller boutique hotels are doing a really good job. And the, the Drover is great if you want to come for a touristy weekend and and uh, and spend a big weekend of living the living La Vida Yellowstone. You, you can come <laughs> but the, uh, and then, you know, the Drover bought the Stockyards Hotel across the street, which is where Bonnie and Clyde stayed, which has become their like mid-price alternative. That's only about 600 a night. Oh, my goodness. That's wild. Well, you're headed all to that, Austin. All that hotel money, the hotel money is just the hotel money's tripled. I mean, the Fort Worth tourism and people talk about the downtown uh, Sundance has picked back up now. Sundance has recovered from the office business loss during COVID. And now now it's like Fort Worth has two markets. The the cowboys go to the stockyards and then more of the, the uh, uh, urban metro uh, uh, crowd comes downtown for bands and music and dancing and and uh, you know it just so I, I think sundance and stockyards and and the dickies arena have all brought a lot of people someday people will realize that fort worth is the 13th largest city in the country and that tarrant county is the third largest county in texas uh, it's harris dallas tarrant uh, bear and travis are behind but that's still a pretty well-kept secret <laughs> well you're headed to austin this week um because in addition to being uh, a uh, intrepid local reporter, you've also covered the legislature for a long time. Um, this this session has bills that will have 
uh, enormous impact on local politics uh, and most of it bad, in my humble opinion. Um, I know you've been following this stuff. I, the the Death Star bill, 2127, is the thing that people in my orbit are talking a lot about. What's your read on that? It's obviously headed forward. Uh, the governor got, did not sign it today, but I think he is supposed to sign it this week. Um, how do you see that? I've, I've read the thing four times, and I'm a lawyer who's written legislation, and I don't really understand the bill, and I don't think the sponsors did either. What do you foresee coming out of that one? Well, of course, and that was one of the problems is that you really couldn't communicate that what the potential impact might be because everybody saw something different in it. And they read the bill and said, oh, this means that, uh, you know, dogs might be forced to stand on their heads or that, that, uh, <laughs> that, that you know, the cities couldn't ban the sale of paletas, you know, or something. They just Everybody saw something different to get horrified about it. The opponents didn't focus in on anything in particular that really struck a chord with the business community. But, you know, you know what happened there and what's happening with all these bills. Just basically the Republicans are, are in, in Austin for one purpose. A lot of them are there to either to uh, poke a, a stick in the eye of the Democratic Party and own the libs or to put up enough of a fight and look like they're owning the libs. And so it's just, <clears throat> it's all about the pressure to own the libs at this point. And so anything that the state does to rein in these runaway liberal cities uh, is you know, is fair game. And so the, 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 national, uh, the, the national story, the national uh, template of the horrible, decaying, crime-ridden urban cities that have to be reined in by a bigger, more powerful government uh, that's been fitted onto Texas cities like Houston and Dallas and Austin. And so that everything goes in Austin when it comes to reigning in its cities, even though it also reigns in places like Lubbock and Abilene and, mm -hmm. and uh, at a Republican mayor in Fort Worth. Well, I, uh, you know, they, they, they saw a couple of items that they did not want to preempt because the, I think they felt like it would be politically uh, problematic for them. So the, the payday lenders are still going to be able to be regulated by cities. But as a, uh, my law firm, very, very proud of my law firm, we represent lots of First Amendment uh, interests, including those of exotic dancers. And uh, that's one thing they missed on that bill. They, they may have inadvertently undone all of the sexually oriented business regulations that cities have passed and i'm i wonder if i wonder if some of these unintended consequences will i mean there's there's no time for them to go back and fix anything so we're looking at you know the next legislative session but i wonder what the i wonder what the pushback might wind up being well i've heard all sorts of of possible things that could happen and and some of them really bizarre but you know, they didn't come up in debate and they didn't come up in discussion. If the Democrats knew they might happen, they didn't want to raise it and, and uh, give, the, give the Republicans time to fix anything. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, now this this is a situation where they passed it and now they have to live with it. Uh, Burroughs seems to think that all this is just fine and that nothing bad's going to happen despite dire predictions. And, you know, sometimes Democrats do overstate all the, the sky is falling. Mm -hmm 
uh, rhetoric and say, well, this might happen, that might happen, oh my gosh, this might happen, and it doesn't. And so sometimes the opposition, you know, does get, a, it does embellish the potential damage a little bit. Uh, I think in this case, it just leaves so many topics open. There's going to be something really weird out there that nobody thought about that's going to be affected by this bill. What else do you see um, coming up, stuff that is passed or is like very likely to pass this week that you think is going to affect local politics? I want to say one more thing about that bill. You know, this yeah. goes back. This is a a uh, a bigger, broader version of the debate over statewide regulation of smoking. And, you know, this is 10 or 12 years ago, the legislature debated whether to do away with local smoking laws and make everybody can uh, just stick to a statewide law. And one of the tobacco lobbyists said, look, you got to understand, it's a lot cheaper for us to buy 76 votes in the House than to buy all the city councils in the state of Texas. <laughs> and that's what all this is about now. It's it's a lot easier just to to fix something in the legislature than it is to run around the whole the whole state putting out little fires in every town. The conservatives will tell you it's all about Denton trying to regulate fracking, but you know it, it's it's really about uh, it really dates back to smoking. I'm sorry, what was your last question? What are you, what are other things you see either that have passed or are likely to pass like this week or next week that you think will be um, really important for local politics? Well, you know, I wonder what's going to come of the, uh, pardon the ring, the, I wonder what's going to come of the bill allowing school districts to, uh, to hire chaplains, forcing school districts to vote on whether to have chaplains in schools and allowing school districts to replace their counselors with chaplains. I wonder <coughs> if that's going to affect, uh, that's another red meat topic for school board races is, is that, uh, you know, the school boards are going to have to be forced to vote on whether to have chaplains in school or not. And so that that'll be something else that people can throw out in school board races. Uh, the, uh, you know, a lot of the, you know, a, a lot of the bills, you know, I'm not quite sure exactly what the damage is going to be. Uh, I think that everybody's watching to see, you know, vouchers is a matter of degrees. It's like, uh, do they want to pass an itty bitty voucher or a middle sized voucher or a great big voucher? But, you know, I think they'll pass something along those lines. And the question is how much uh, that, uh, you know, how much opposition there will be, not from the left. There's always opposition from the teachers. But the question is how much pushback there is from the far right, the anti-voucher uh, crowd on the far right that doesn't want government involved in, in private schools. But I think something will I think something will pass there, and then you and I both are watching all the the uh, the grid debate playing out in Austin, and the, the grid debate is really interesting because it's big businesses showing against other big businesses, and so it's like are the energy companies going to make more money at the expense of other companies, and are the biggest energy companies going to make more money than the middle sized energy companies? So that that's that's a really a classic Texas legislature showdown. <laughs> it's also run to, that's really hard to watch because they don't do a great job of uh, having those debates be made open to the public, right? Right, uh, right. Neither one of those, both of those have been, uh, some of the, the uh, House hearings have been in obscure little away locations or the, the debate's been limited. Yeah, yeah. Which is I don't remember limiting the debate in previous sessions to the extent that I've seen it this session. 
What's behind that? Well, I think that the committee hearings, uh, they just want to avoid. They're trying to get things done at this point. And they feel like the, the voices have been heard. Uh, they don't want to have the repeat of the, gosh, I mean, so much of the, uh, of the Austin uh, debates have been around uh, gender issues. And they don't want to have more loud, raucous debates like they've had on, on gender issues. And they just want, I mean, you can tell when the legislature just wants to shove something through. I mean, the legislature, you talk to the guys down there, they say it's going to be an 80 to 60 vote. We might as well go ahead and vote. You know, why have all this hearing when it's, uh, when it's, you know, it's, we pretty well know how it's going to come out. You know, uh, Governor Patrick expressed surprise the other day. I can't remember what the issue was, but he said, look at this. We actually have uh, a split bipartisan uh, vote on an issue that it was, did not go as predicted. And it was, it was, uh, but everything is so cut and dry before they get there. So and the Republicans are really annoyed that the Democrats have to be there at all. <laughs> but do you believe so say that the the voucher uh piece that was added to house bill 100 passes the house this week in some form right a limited form do we believe the governor when he says he would veto uh it because it wasn't broad enough or at this point does governor abbott sort of feel like he has to take the available victory i think that governor abbott probably means that you know when all the rumors about an august or september special session. I think, you know, something like that would, that would put him in the news and put him back in position for a little more publicity on the verge of whatever presidential campaigns there are out there. You know, what he's involved in is basically uh, positioning himself. Uh, he, he's ready if called on, you know, if, if, if someone <laughs> needs him to be a running mate, then he, he wants to be in position to be called on and have the, and have the resume to, to fill that role. He probably wouldn't be a DeSantis running mate, but you know, if you had a Nikki Haley, then Governor Abbott might be a running mate. Somebody who's not going to look, if DeSantis is not the nominee uh, and Trump is not the nominee, then anyone else, if they didn't want DeSantis as a running mate, which probably wouldn't work, they might look to Greg Abbott for a running mate. So, you know, he wants to have his resume polished and ready if called on. Well, where should we be eating in, in uh, <laughs> Tarrant County these days, bud? Downtown Fort Worth uh, 61 is the new, very flashy Italian restaurant. It's almost as beautifully decorated as someplace in Dallas. It's just, <laughs> yeah, it's, the, it's the pick of the week and a pick of the month in Texas Monthly this month. It's a very elegant Italian restaurant facing Burnett Plaza. And so that's a, that's a great restaurant. Of course, we have the James Beard nominated Don Artemio in the cultural district as a, a Coahuilan uh, steakhouse with everything, uh, you know, artisan cooking from Mexico with all the ingredients, the furnishings, the decor, everything very elegant. And then the agaves and the mezcals to go with it. So Don Artemio, if you want to be in with the foodies and 61, if you want to be in with the uh, flashy design if you want to feel like you're having uh, maybe dinner in Manhattan somewhere, but in the middle of Fort Worth. So I think that those are two of the really flashy restaurants. Uh, Quince is open on the river uh, near the zoo. You have Quince uh, is a restaurant from San Miguel de Allende, Mexico, but it's a general menu restaurant, steaks, fish, uh, sushi, and it's on the river and they're adding uh, more decor. It's a high energy, flashy restaurant uh, like the one in San Miguel de Allende, which was 
considered one of the top destination restaurants in the world. We really, uh, we have a lot of newsy restaurants right now. And then, but you know, it really Fort Worth is all about practical food and practical prices too. And so people try to go have the, the bison filet at Bun L's or a, a barbecue plate at Heim or something like that. My yeah, y'all are dominating the uh, barbecue lately. My uh, favorite of uh, Bud's Food Rex is Daybreak Cafe. Daybreak Cafe is, as uh, I, I think the breakfasts are $4, the yeah. burgers <laughs> are $4.50. The, uh, the, the big lunch plate, I think, is seven fifty or something like that. Yeah. But <laughs> Daybreak is a Daybreak is a total bargain. Uh, that poor guy that runs it, he's there every day. He comes in at uh, five a.m. He opens and he closes at four p.m. And so it's the uh, working man's breakfast, lunch, and a real bargain uh, every day of the year. He's there rolling out burritos and pounding out chicken fried steaks, and, and it's a really good place to go for. Uh, you can spend all you can spend a lot more other places and, and uh, you'd rather be at daybreak yeah. thank you that's on that, that's on uh, that's behind montgomery plaza on white settlement road uh, which is named for being an indian territory not like a racial not not a contemporary racial reference but like a uh, a 19th century reference but the, but it's daybreak cafes on white settlement road near carroll behind montgomery plaza not too far from the museums well yeah is it a wasn't White Settlement named after a Mr. White? It was not. That was something promoted by the people in White Settlement. But uh, <laughs> the, the, uh, <clears throat> the original, uh, there were three cabins across the uh, West Fork of the Trinity River. The West Fork divided uh, the fort and the army controlled territory from what was considered Indian territory. And there were three settlers who built cabins west of the river. And that area was called the White Settlement in Indian Territory. It's actually where Westworth is now, near the gate of the of the naval base. Uh, their school was built further out and became the White Settlement School. And, uh, and around that school is what is now the town, the city of White Settlement. You know, they have a big mayor's runoff in White Settlement. You may want to cover the, uh, the top candidate uh, it did not win, although I'm really surprised uh, Farron Young is his name, and so with a popular music name, Farron Young, uh, he, he was unable to win outright. He'll have to go to a runoff to be mayor of White Settlement. Well, we he has our sympathy. Is uh, uh, Tyler and I are both former city council, and nothing is worse than a runoff. Well, it's the middle of June. There's nobody here. There's nobody to vote. Everybody's <laughs> gone to Colorado for the summer, and. Uh, so it's just impossible to get people to come back out. There's a, 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 a there's a, a runoff here. Uh, there's a school board and a council runoff, but there's also one for Tarrant County College Board. Can you imagine how tough it is to get people to come out and vote for junior college board uh, on a Saturday in June? It's just nearly impossible. So uh, I expect the the turnout to be in the low two percent for for these races be really dedicated what early voting starts uh what the day after memorial day right, right. tuesday tuesday after memorial day and uh, and there'll be there's two pretty good races there's the city council race that decides what's supposed to be the new hispanic district but it's uh, it, it's dominated by riverside voters and that it includes rosemont worth heights polytechnic it's a it's a u-shaped or horseshoe shaped district uh the, but the uh the, the district's pretty well divided at i-30 
of, uh, of the voters. And then the, there's a school board race in the uh, west and southwest in the prosperous uh, you know, school board district uh, between two centrist, uh, well, we, uh, the two centrist Republicans, uh, one the incumbent and the others being challenged, but they're not Patriot Mobile candidates. Well, who do you and uh, Jason have on Sunday? Yeah, I don't know who's coming up. He's in Austin right now. So he's in Austin <laughs> taking interviews. And uh, so we'll see who he comes home with. Great. <laughs> well, Tyler, you got anything else? Should we let Bud sign off with anything else he wants to fill in the listeners on? I've got nothing else. No. I'm happy to come back anytime and discuss white settlement politics or anything else. You know, uh, Goldie's barbecue in Kennedale and, and uh, let's see the, and, and in between Dallas and Fort down on Matlock road in Arlington, uh, the, uh, uh, this week's story is about a restaurant named spice and gravy. That's a really good little uh, restaurant. It's halfway between I 20 and Mansfield on Matlock. So it's a little bit of a drive. But they actually have gravy flights. You can get a, a selection of three gravies <laughs> to go with your chicken or catfish. But they also have uh, completely vegan dishes. They have uh, they have either cheese grits or plain grits. They have collards with uh, turkey and ham, or they have collards with uh, garlic and pepper. And they have uh, they they kind of have two sets of southern cooking for everybody, so everybody can be happy. That's my little tip. That'll be a, that'll be this online at StarTelegram.com and in print this week. Well, I'll tell you what, the next time we do our Tarrant County update, we're just gonna come meet you yeah. at some place in Tarrant County and we'll record after we eat. I'll be happy to help. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, bud. We really enjoyed it and our, our listeners certainly will too. Thank you. The sunshine Take me to another place in my life Where everything